Coyotes are members of the wild dog family. Never tamed, they are well equipped to live in the wild. They are found throughout the United States and are known as scavengers, feeding on the remains of many larger animals that have died because of weather or other causes. They eat everything from crickets to large elk. They average about two feet tall and weigh about 30 pounds and live about six years in the wild. They usually hunt on their own, but they will also hunt in pairs or packs. One of their favorite pastimes is hunting for voles, a small mouse-like rodent that tunnels underground. Just watch him hunt. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a wild edition of Nick's Nonfiction. You're here with your host, comic Nick Muniz. Today on the show, we have the American Attenborough, Dan Flores's Coyote America. Warm those pipes up. We're going to be howling all day. If I were to tell you there was an invasive species that is abducting children, pets, your loving cat, babies, you would run for the hills, but don't go there because that's exactly where the coyotes are. Coyotes are the most versatile organism maybe on North America. 10,000 years ago when there was that ice age, maybe a meteorite or a Mount Helena explosion, Mammoths, woolly mammoths, saber-toothed tigers, Sid the Sloth, the cinematic movie star. All of these animals, the short-nosed bear, that thing could run 30 miles an hour. Thank God that thing got extinct. Coyotes are one of the few animals that are able to survive these mass extinctions. And all the elite with their underground bunkers. One of my reoccurring dreams is running on all fours. You know that feeling, wind in the hair, or maybe that's just my past life. Me and the coyote, the half coyote, half man we're going to learn about from the ancient native myths. And the coyote has snuck his way into our metaconsciousness as a people. Wily coyote, that bugger is still chasing the roadrunner up into space. These friendly looking canids are immune to strychnine. The cowboys couldn't even run them out of the wild west. They have gone from hundreds in population up to around 5 million and counting. We have lost count of these little guys. They are able to change their physiology. They have a underlying DNA of epigenetics they could call on at a moment's notice, kind of like a Batman versatility belt. They are a pack animal. They thrive on their intelligence and ability to work together just like the humans, which is why they were kept in such high regard, made totems of them for years to come. It's going to be a shorter episode today, and we're going to learn all about these friendly little guys who you don't want to get too friendly with. About the author Dan Flores, he is one of the best nature writers in American history, his other famous book, The American Serengeti, we will have to have on the show eventually. He's getting up there in age, maybe all the best sellers out of his system by now. 78 years old, living down in Santa Fe, which is going to be one of the top coyote capitals of the world. Always kicking around coyote turds in his backyard. He went to college up in Montana, perfect place to study the American West. His favorite things to do is to watch an American Western, maybe a old Clint Eastwood movie, Clinton, Bill Clinton Eastwood, and watched coyotes eat live rabbits and rats in his backyard. In 78 is when he got his PhD from Texas A&M, and then he started teaching at the University of Wyoming, smack dab in the middle of America. 
His other bestsellers include The Mississippi Kite, which is crazy. It's about the southern hawk all up and down the Mississippi River. This is another one of the indigenous species that North America has. Like, you know when you go to the zoo and there's always the biggest section is the Africa section. We had the woolly mammoths. We had cooler animals at one point. Dan is highlighting all these. That hawk, especially the coyotes, have infiltrated the entire world. They're in every city of the world. It's amazing how versatile and invasive they are. Dan Flores, his private life is kept very private. Probably why the critical reception is meh. Those critics want to know everything about you in order to give you a good review. But Dan keeps to himself. He keeps to nature as he should. He's got his own podcast going now called Rewilding North America. He's all on the conservation effort. A true savior of the species. And it's going to take us through nine chapters today. Let's start it off about the species. Dan started us off with a personal interaction story. Why so many other writers hold him in such a high regard. European writers love Dan Flores. He was on winter break at university up in Montana. When you're on break, he went home to Louisiana, where he's originally from. He was deep in the bayou with Clearance Clearwater Revival. Born on the bayou! And he was walking down to get his paper in the middle of the morning, crack of ass, parents are asleep, no one to cry for help, and what he hears from behind him is just pitter-patter of nails on the asphalt. Now, Dan Flores does not have a dog. This was when he saw his first coyote stalking him. Dan, the curious writer that he was, he didn't run away in fear. He followed the coyote back to his pack, and when he went back, he saw six of them dining on a local cat. One of the cats from the neighborhood that he remembered. He saw them pink tongue, yellow eyes, their brownish, yellowish fur. Almost like a fox, he thought it was, but triple the size. The crazy thing about coyotes off the bat, like, there's no such thing as a lone wolf. I went to a wolf conservatory, conservatory, down by Colorado Springs recently. And wolves, the lone wolf, is a myth. The coyote is able to hunt on its own without dying, and then they share their kill. It's almost like the Homo sapien as a forager. That's how they've been able to survive for so long. This was the first interaction that sparked an entire lifetime of looking into the species. There was a community underneath his own nose, which you are going to learn today. These coyotes are most likely in your hometown. You see some yellow eyes peering at you through the bush in the middle of the night. It's not some jackal or the New Jersey devil. It most likely is one of these coyotes. Of all the wildlife species from meese, mooses, elk to wolves, coyotes are the most common close encounters for United States citizens. Dan has lived in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Denver, Atlanta, Chicago, and most recently in New York City. He has seen sightings. That is right. The island of Manhattan is now inhabitable by coyotes. You got to watch those documentaries about people that are living in the abandoned subway shafts. So not too much of a surprise with all the trash we have and all the rats, coyotes eating rats. It's like a candy shop Manhattan for these guys. As for the history of the species, the coyotes started out in the west. They are around 5 million years old are the oldest fossils that they have found. And humans, you know, they say we go back 2 billion years. These canids predate us by a long, long time. 
We will stay towards recorded history for now. Around 300 to 900 years ago, they were found on the East Coast, frozen in the ice ages. You know, they're doing all this carbon dating. They've also found 10,000-year-old samples in the La Brea tar pits. And it is a distinctive skull from the wolf. It's not just one breed of these dogs, wild dogs in America. The coyotes would actually go to war with jackals we'll get into. When the settlers got here, they immediately noticed how many there were on the prairies. During our manifest destiny had to come to a bit of a halt because there was not too much food getting nabbed up by all the coyotes in the breadbasket, the open plains. 500 years ago, the coyotes were mostly inhabiting East Texas and Oklahoma. That's where they're finding a lot of fossils right now. Few other species have made it into the millions, millions of them. That's like um, humans, they say, that's supposed to have a 50 million person limit. We have extended that by almost 20 times over. These coyotes are little emperors. They go out and they take over land. They extend their domain, little pioneers. In the 1600s, in Guatemala and Ecuador, especially El Salvador too, they have coyote heads that are carved into like the... Incan totems and on the grand pyramids, whatever they call those temples of the Mayans. They called it the Coyotal, which was a wolf-like man-creature. How creepy is that? You hear about like Skinwalker Ranch, all these creepy places that are supposed to have big feet, big foots in America. This is what people always say. They see the Coyote Man. Remember that old book you probably read the uh, in school, the hitchhiker, person's driving across the country and they see the same hitchhiker. It's basically that same urban myth, but with a coyote. You're going out to pick up some sticks for the firewood and you see a half coyote, half man. Taking it up to the 1830s, they were right in the middle of the fur trade. The Canadians would skin absolutely anything north of the Hudson. If you were a person with hairy arms, they would skin you and sell you for your wool. Within a hundred years, they had relocated to the Yukon Peninsula up in Alaska. These coyotes, it's not like they have the internet of coyotes, but they are able to somehow mass migrate out of the continent when they know they are in high value. This wasn't the end of their species. They almost just took it as adding more land to their own cosmopolitan. They're they are residing over 7,500 miles of North America now. That is bigger than the Persian Empire, the Roman Empire, over in Toronto, Ottawa, and everywhere in between. One of the old Hispanic sayings from Cortez and the City of Gold Searchers was, The only thing smarter than a coyote is a god. They were intelligent, flexible, the two metrics that got humans out of the Serengeti. It's that whole thing of being able to survive on their own for a limited time and then meld into a new pack. A wolf can't do that. The thing is, wolves, they have much more uh, communicative abilities. They can like lower their head, raise their ears, snarl a lip, show their teeth if they're angry, whereas coyotes have a much smaller or a much more universal language. So there's coyote Spanish and Mexican. There's one universal language. They're more advanced than us. (laughs) 
journals from back in Cortez's time and then up with Lewis and Clark were saying that these animals seem to be testing their boundaries with us. Whereas wolves, they will just come at you, howl, and try to get you off their land. It's a land of turf, and then they're going to pee all over the rocks and then howl at the moon in a celebration. But the coyotes, they keep their distance and they test you, which is what makes it more of a evasive a kind of mysterious species they're not getting close or waging war they are observing you in the 1920s there was a war of extermination east of the mississippi they were saying we can't have these grabbing our little kids anymore this was one of the first time that there was the big coyotes wanted bounty on coyotes that was after the 1920s a hundred years after the fur trade and you would think we hunted them to near extinction they were larger in numbers by the 1970s people were buying coyote puppies on route 66 you're supposed to get your kicks there well they were buying half dog half wolves that are going to ruin neighborhoods and they were taking them out west so there goes every single conservation or effort to keep them out of suburbia people are using them as pets that's like you hear about nowadays down in florida in the everglades people the the reptile freaks once you buy a lizard it's like a tattoo you're gonna have to get another reptile until you buy a dragon and these people are dropping friggin pythons in the middle of the everglades so now that's a pretty creepy invasive species to see but that is how coyotes this is really their continent but it's how they got started again we were close to eradication if that really is your goal they are now in 49 states again they infiltrated the yucatan claimed it as theirs during manifest destiny and until one stows away into hawaii the united states is basically theirs that should be our animal not the bald eagle the coyote that'd be a pretty badass one no one else has a wolf the american coyotes that should be a goddamn football team the final state they invaded in 2010 was delaware in Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, these are the main hubs of coyotes. This is where most of the observers get their data. And it's been over 15,000 years that humans have been co excuse me, coexisting with these animals. The natives, they just knew how to, like, they didn't do these giant mass killing campaigns. They learned to, creepy word that you might not like if you have super high political beliefs, coexist. Down in the Yucatan, there is a city called Cayocana, just a city named after coyotes. They have infiltrated every single culture. And then by 2000 and 2006, <laughs> they were up in Westchester, New York, and in Central Park. There was a story in 2006 where someone found a coyote on an Amtrak. Pretty crazy. They are invading our public transportation. We are obsessed with these animals. They're little predators. Unlike most, like, rabbits who have the eyes on the side of their heads, dopies chewing on lettuce all the time, these predators probably share some genetic memory with us. They have the super-smelling ability. They have the hunting eyes like humans. You gotta look at the eyes of the coyotes. I'm used to see. I've seen so many pictures after reading this book. They have this yellow, burning eye. It's like the light of the sun hitting your soul. In 2007, there was a story about Jessica Simpson's dog getting nabbed up by a coyote, so that blew them up more than any public campaign ever will to call for the cause. You know, just eat a famous person's dog, the Kardashian's dog, <laughs> needs to get nabbed up by a gray wolf soon before they go extinct. 
2012, there was a cool story where a coyote got stuck in the grill of a car. Someone hit it on a road trip, and they drove all the way from Utah to L.A., and a coyote got off there. So I think that Hawaii stowaway is probably coming. They're going to Sully Sullenberger fly into the jet engine plane and just get all the way off to the middle of the Pacific Ocean. That's what this is. We're a country of immigrants, the melting pot of dogs. People bring all their kinds of dogs to America, from Shih Tzu to Shepherd to Coyote. Knowing a little about the species, gonna hit you with a sad bomb over the head. Now we're killing about 500,000 a year. This book is Dan Flores' call to attention. The coyote was once seen as Homo sapiens avatar. It's our earthly representation, our inner deity, as they would say. Mine is probably just my house cat, fat cat that follows me around like a shadow, just like most Americans. This lonesome coyote that hunts on its own and is able to sit in a drum circle with the rest of the pack is a human-like animal that we need to turn a little bit more of our attention to. Modern Americans are craving to be reconnected with nature. Coyotes could be the perfect way in. Chapter 2, Old Man America. You know, coyotes were on this land long before man ever stepped foot here. Before we were on the road map reading the stars like the highway, these coyotes were doing the same and killing monsters. They were killing the buffaloes and the bears. From all the droppings and records Dan was talking about, coyotes had been able to misplace entire buffalo herds. They thinned out schools of salmon, some were even omnivorous, so you can see how destructive they really can be to an ecosystem. They have an iron stomach just like humans. If it moves, eat it. Does it smell good enough and you don't throw up? Eat it again next time. The wise man, the guy who is holding the peace pipe around the fire, would always say, old man coyote says, battle to the death is dumb. Coyotes, interspecies battles like a even a mama bear, if they're getting a little bit hungry, they will eat one of their own cubs. We anthropomorphize all these animals, make it seem like they're humans, and they have dinner at night with all their family dinner with all their cubs. They will straight up eat their cubs. But coyotes, they leave the death to die. They don't eat their own. Old Man Coyote, like that tale we had before of the hitchhiker, was the mouthpiece they used to remember stories, just like a melody, or the Greeks, Homer, and the tale of the Odyssey rhymed, or Shakespeare's sonnets were used to transport stories, the German Hansel and Gretel, the Brothers Grimm tales, the coyote was used to teach lessons to children. People that crossed the Siberian land bridge 15,000 years ago had little toys and little wooden carved whittled figurines of the prophesied coyote man. Crazy little thing of history because you always get taught uh, we were praising Christ for the past 3,000 years. Well, for 15,000 years, coyotes were all the rage. In the Great Plains 10,000 years ago, the... Uh, Boreal, the Canadian forest, like dense forest, came all the way down to the Great Plains of America. And that's when the coyote population was at its strongest. So just when those Native Americans were coming across the Bering Strait, the Great Plains were Mazayamara. That's what these researchers call it. It's a bit drier than the African Serengeti, but that matters nothing for the coyotes. They are one of few animals that can run 43 miles an hour. And they have that underlying epigenetics of a horse. Stan Flores says they used to be the size 
of a horse. And so they have hoof-like feet, unlike most dogs. So they can book it through 50 miles of open plains to get to the next pond, unlike many animals that would die in between. They have a 4% genetic difference from a coyote to a wolf. That's why I'm trying to get these difference slammed into your dome because us humans are four percent away from orangutans if i called you an orangutan you'd be pretty mad so do not call a coyote a wolf these things they're so fast that they stay out of the borders of human travel they know where our highways are before we know where they like to travel one of the coolest things i saw online they tagged a couple different wolf packs and showed on an outline in yellowstone which pack owns which territory it's straight up gang warfare in the wolf community since they always know where we are the reason they were so kept in the mythology was because seeing a coyote was just like seeing a shooting star they were told to make a prayer to the coyote when you see it there was always the guy in your camp who was around the campfire yeah i saw a coyote last night no you didn't no one i've ever met and i know 200 people has ever seen a coyote and then you're like draw it make a totem of the coyote that's a new pixar it didn't happen totem or you didn't see it <laughs> europeans thought the uh coyote embodied loki which is that norse god of shape-shifting he was so elusive they would say in european tribes back a long time ago that when the coyote gets out of your line of sight he'll turn into a raven or a blue jay and fly away because you can never follow a coyote back to their den there's no den they just curl up into a ball the earliest we know of their species or they said it was five million years old eight hundred thousand years ago there was a little bugger called the golden jackal and he died on the back end of one of the ice ages but they had a similar body shape type they think that's one of its early ancestors just like us to bonobos and for 500,000 years these two species went to war over the plains the 800,000 years ago this is when that Canadian forest was receding one of the ice ages were ending for 500,000 years humans due to uh, what your history book will tell you we haven't even been around that long for half a million years they were warring over the great plains of the united states the golden jackals and the coyotes the coyotes were retreating to the rockies and fighting off these jackals you could see why it's such a great totem for the native americans that's exactly what they did you sit on the like golden or boulder colorado do a hike over here and you just look over the plains and if you were a native american and you saw the white man all them in their prairie wagons coming from miles away you would just be like the coyotes with the jackals and take shelter in the mountains i'm telling you we really need some more football teams instead of like the racist washington redskins you got <laughs> i don't know that much sports is there the brooklyn jews probably out there imagine if we had the minnesota jackals versus the las vegas coyotes i'm telling you i'd be at that game Thirty thousand years ago <clears throat> there was this animal called the Eurasian Superwolf. <laughs> you don't want to run into one of these bad guys. And he took over that strait between Alaska and Russia. And so the coyotes were stranded for a little bit. Before that 500,000 year period, they were able to get into Asia and such. They were stuck <laughs> when the big bad monster controls the bridge, none shall pass. I went to uh, in the Denver Science Museum. They have this history of time. It takes you from single-cell organisms to Lucy the ape. And they stop at the Great Plains. They show 
Denver when it was tropical. It used to be like a rainforest here. Absolutely wild. The Colorado River was home to these, probably those (laughs) Everglade 30-foot pythons. There is this giant pig. So these coyotes were able to hunt down big things like these, but not the super wolves. And it's a pig the size of a car. They have tusks the size of a long sword, man. It's scary. But the coyotes hunting in packs, these little 35-pound animals, were able to take down some of the biggest animals on North America. And as we said, they were able to become omnivorous, which is one of the best things you could do as an animal. It quadruples hundred times over how much you can eat. They were able to start metabolizing juniper berries, one of the most affluent berries you're going to come across. And they even eat vegetables, even more of a reason for farmers to hate them. And when the settlers came... Nobody had ever seen a dog eat berries before. We would still just toss our dogs a steak around the fire. And these things that were eating berries made it very clear that we didn't know what this species was. It's very new science. We're only a couple hundred years into studying these little dogs. Daniel Smale was one of the first writers about it. He was an evolutionary neuroscience writer, studies mice, and he was saying coyotes had been in cities ever since Jamestown, the earliest settlements in America. Mark Twain even wrote a story called Adventures of Coyote. It was about some sly coyote man just doing a bunch of mischief, stealing from each other, because that's what they saw coyotes as, thieves, unlike the Native Americans' view of it. Mark Twain, widely accepted as the first stand-up comic, he said, The aura of a coyote is not for visionary dreamers. It's a philosophy for the realist in you. Very deep. You could think that one over a couple times. Coyotes got layers. They're not these crazy wolves that just want to eat and scare you off and howl. In this Coyote Man book, he was... Mark Twain, he also invented the werewolf. Do you need a silver bullet to kill a coyote? It was all about the uh, Coyote Man would expose the injustices of others. It was layered, just like his novels. He invented the first alter ego Superman. He's the Batman of the Mississippi River. Coyote Man? (laughs) People uh, hold Mark Twain in a low light because he dropped some N-bombs and Huckleberry Finn. It's just because he knew the, un- the he understood the attention span of people in the 1800s. These people could barely read. So when they saw the N-word written out, that was gut-wrenching laughter for these people. And if you want to tell a layered tale about coyotes, you're going to have to slip some lewd language in there. Even 5,000 years ago, not too long ago, in the grand span of time, the Aztecs would have coyote festivals. And then the Navajo cave paintings have all kinds of jackrabbits being eaten by coyotes, idolized by people all throughout time, even us with Wiley Coyote. Things ain't a changing. Old man America, Mr. Coyote. Chapter 3 Prairie Wolf. Dan Flores, for a total of 20 years, he lived in the Great Plains and the Rocky Mountains, the real coyote heartlands, and he likes the prairies the best. He says, painted beautiful pictures in the book, the sky looks like an ocean. I'm always saying it feels like you could touch the clouds up here. You got some of the most unreal sunsets, big ranges of colors like the West Coast. Just like we left the Serengeti 45,000 years ago, we have that same bewilderment As people, when we come across these flat lands that are the perfect cradle for life, the old um, 
capital of Colorado used to be golden. You'll see it's the perfect little foothill town. You got protection. Now we got real protection. You could hide F-16s underneath the mountains and have them pop out. It's perfect. You got the Colorado River. It's coming down off of I-70. That's I-70 is 5,000 years old too. Fresh water. You got salmon swimming upstream. It's the perfect place to be for a prairie wolf even. In 1804, the first white man, Lewis and Clark, to come across wrote about what they called the prairie wolf. And they just thought it was a tiny arctic or gray wolf. There's three kinds of wolves, arctic, gray, and red wolves, which are the desert ones. On the ballot this year in Colorado, along with the presidential election, we are voting whether or not we want to re-release wolves into the wild. That's right. That's what these hippy-dippy people are voting on up here. It's worth it. I mean, in Yellowstone, the point of this is they were able to reintroduce a healthy population because all of the little vermin and critters were... There were way too many of them. Nothing was keeping the population in check. So it worked in Yellowstone. We're going to try it on a statewide level, it looks like, for the first time here in 2020. Still news coming out here on the prairie. So it wasn't until 100 years from Lewis and Clark in 1804 that the 1900 Dust Bowls came and we learned that a coyote is much different than some sort of prairie wolf. We could have listened to the Spanish settlers who since 1800s were calling them stags or jackals. Even if you play some sort of apocalyptic video games, uh, Borderlands, uh, Fallout, that's that got to be the coolest idea for a game. You're in a city, a nuked city, and there are all these little dog-like creatures, scavengers, they call stags or jackals. Basically, if we are in this MMORPG, the coyotes are the stags. The first time, like 15 years after the first time they were documented, we heard a coyote howl for the first time. And they have the ability to bark like a dog. Isn't that creepy? Those yellow eyes in the bush? He, he starts going, arf, 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 like a little chihuahua. You get too close and that coyote has your throat. <laughs> That's right. Lewis and Clark knew what the coyotes were saying. And it's 2019 and people are still trying to figure out what a fox says. Ooh. That's a cheap one. In the book, <laughs> it was the Lewis and Clark field manual. This had me laughing. And just like the guy around the fire, okay, you've seen a coyote, draw one. There was a picture in the book, and it was like a fox on stilts. It looked nothing like an actual coyote. I'll have pictures of plenty on the YouTube video today. We really didn't have an accurate field manual of these guys until around the 1830s and the 1850s. They changed the name to the O-Rate Wolf kind of a badass name, the O-Rates. Alexander von Humboldt wrote about them a lot, but there was still a ton of misconception. Dan Flores is honestly one of the first science communicators who is really putting public knowledge about this little species out there. And then your host, Nick Muniz, today. In 1850, there was an urban legend of two coyotes that were able to take down a buffalo. And taking down a buffalo takes six men, at least, with Smith & Weston rifles. <laughs> Two coyotes can do it. They're, they have the biting force of an alligator. Not really. These things, though, are much better hunters than humans. In the mid-1800s, still, there were rumors of them going down into the south. They were calling them in the south Canis Fruster, so they knew it was just another kind of dog. And they would just feed them chicken, which is not what you want to do because coyotes do associate food with people if you feed them. Warning from Dan, do not feed them even though we're scared about the numbers.
There was a story in 1860, someone said that a coyote crossbred with one of their dogs. And now there's all these kinds of jackal-wolf hybrids that we've got running around. So there really is a big reason to believe we are not sure of how many species of coyote there really are. Flores says, in general, it's a skinnier wolf, more lanky. They have a sense of humor. They love to cackle like hyenas. Even more of a reason they're the American Avatar. Chapter 4, A War on Wild Things. Flores lived for over a decade south of Santa Fe, more or less the new coyote retreat region. They always have to have their home hub. And he finds, kicking around the poops in his backyard, he's a scat collector. Dan Flores, I'm sure his house is littered with the best turds he found. I'm a scat man! He says there's always juniper berries, all these weird little bones of tiny types of vermins. He doesn't even know what they are that the coyotes are scavenging off of. Having lived in Santa Fe, he knows that almost every city in New Mexico has been invaded by coyotes. What do they say is uh, Seattle's thing, keep Seattle weird? How about keep Albuquerque quirky? Huh? Huh? I'm trademarking that. What if the howl, the coyote howl, should be the real national anthem of America? (laughs) Back around the 1890s, similar story that happened in Santa Fe, the Salt Lake Tribune wrote about poisoning corpses of buffalo to try to thin the herd of coyotes. So, you know, you eat it and then you kill over and die. Classic hunter's trap. And the chapter called War on Wild Things was how we really should not have gotten involved in here. Farmers were pissed because coyotes, they kill the rabbits, they kill the weasels, the roadrunners, all these other things that are killing their crops. And then when we tried to poison them, it poisoned their crops. They would die, their bodies would like, all that shit would get into the soil and ruin the plants. And then the coyotes gained immunity to it. We're going to get into this later, but this 1890 Salt Tribune Salt Lake City Tribune story of trying to poison coyotes, we should have took the warning, because when you poison them, they turn into super zombies. Still in the 1800s, even when we were poisoning them, the way we purchased parts of Pennsylvania from the French and the natives was with coyote skins. It was a legal denomination. In 1877, sorry, was the first time that there was a bounty on the head of the coyotes. It was in Colorado, And people were using strychnine on their own, that poison. So you didn't even have to waste a bullet on a coyote. You could poison a river and then take a bunch of their skins back and cash in. That is, you're from the East Coast, anyone? Open season there lasts about seven days. This is true open season back in 1877. Damn, that's the real Red Dead Redemption American West right there. Part of the reason they started that tag on the coyote head 1877 Colorado was because it's not a very big farming state the high altitude makes it very good for ranching for cattle and sheep and when sheep started disappearing mm -mm -mm, Mr. Coyote's gotta go so we were killing these things like crazy all through the 1800s and then the legendary 1907 president Teddy Roosevelt was disgusted. He had enough. He set aside 151 million acres for national parks. Probably the greatest thing any president's ever done. You know, Teddy Roosevelt, he got his name because there was this old tradition, <laughs> stupidest fucking tradition ever, where you had to 
they would tranquilize and then tie a bear to a tree and then the person would have to shoot it and teddy roosevelt's like this isn't hunting what's the fun in this bear if it doesn't have equal opportunity to kill me and he wouldn't do it so they thought he was soft they call him teddy bear now it's the number one selling plush toy still in america Roosevelt also started the American National Forest System. He was a rough rider. Him and Smedley Butler, we learned about, they appreciated nature. They saw the hard sides of life, and they know what to fight for, just like Mr. Flores here. Around 1907, when all these laws were being made to protect them because the numbers were dwindling, you got Descartes was also writing about how animals are on their own frequency. So it kind of bought up those old native tales of the coyotes and their own level of intelligence that they're operating on and why they choose to stay away from people. Also, Darwin was tearing up the Galapagos, stealing all kinds of chimps and talking about survival of the fittest. So people were just saying, kill whatever you want, kill as many coyotes, a war on the wild. Roosevelt, a hunter himself, was able to spend some time with coyotes. And once you do a little travel and spend some time out there, you learn the truth to the things. Terrible comparison. Teddy Roosevelt was able to go hunting with a coyote. And as he pointed up in a tree at a pheasant or whatever type of small game he was hunting, the coyote understood. It would point with its snout just like a beagle or any other type of hunting dog. They are intelligent animals, and then they can reside on that same frequency as humans. What if in the future you're just going to see everyone, the dog epidemic that's happening is just going to turn into coyotes? In the 1920s, later on, there was a population check and hunter tags were given out for coyotes. They had to. There were the, we were starting the national road system, so we changed their migration patterns completely. And that was basically the end of the, the Wild West for Americans, and especially coyotes. Colorado alone in the 20s had 32,000 bait stations. We were trying to hunt them out of existence, even with all that 151 million acres that Roosevelt put aside. Nowadays, we still give about 150,000 tags a year for these little guys, but they go through these periods of fission and fusion where they turn into their own little subspecies and then they go back to the Yucatan or the Santa Fe where they repopulate and then resurge and take over all the, all the land. I'm telling you, they're a little army. During this 1920s period when they're status was dwindling the population was low the women were able to female coyotes change their gestation period to 10 months it's usually two years long they're what's called the k species where they have to have the baby in their womb for a long ass time but it's in a time of need their genetics change where they're able to shit a baby out in only 10 months another crazy thing about them is there's only one mating couple per pack they're adaptable that's why they're able to survive just like when that super wolf was taking over the coyotes main highway during this time when they were able to change their birth period they also went from an average of 35 pounds to 25 pounds and they became more vegetarian they could just change up what they eat they're just like people where whatever condition you put them in they will adapt in the 1920s, the Division of Predatory Animal and Rodent Control was born, and they were receiving millions in tax dollars, so now you got humans in control of coyote populations. <laughs> when uh, humans are even in control of human population, it doesn't go too well. Cite the entire 1900s and democide for that. So as soon as this division started, 
the Coyote Extermination Act was proposed, and they got hunted to a few thousand in nature. Within a century, humans almost eradicated this creature that had been here for millions of years. Flores knows they're still howling down in New Mexico. Chapter 5, The Arch Predator of Our Time. In the 1930s and 40s now, the hunters and trappers were almost done with the wolves. Yeah, we almost hunted wolves out of existence. That's why we had to reintroduce them to Yellowstone. I guarantee when they start eating rich white people's dogs in Boulder, they're going to have to hunt all the wolves again. This is the fusion and fission because we think we can control anything. It's got to be the coexistence is what the last chapter is mostly about. We're going to fly over. Mark Twain, again, he used to go roughing it with Elliot, maybe T.S. Elliot it was, uh, roughing it, just like the Rough Riders. This is when you go out into nature without any guns, without any protection, and you live just like a human ape. Mark Twain, the writer that he is, he got down raw to the bones, and he saw the coyotes take down a bear. This must have been urban legend. Everybody knows Mark Twain likes to exaggerate. Like we said, coyotes, two of them can take down a buffalo, unheard of. Coyotes killing a bear. Bears are the arch predator. Dan Flores, crafty name of the chapter, is trying to say that coyotes are superior to bears even. Nowadays, almost every continent has the equivalent of a coyote. The In Asia, they have this thing called the Tunisian tiger-faced wolf. It's just as invasive. They find it in Wuhan. They find it in Singapore, all the biggest Chinese cities. I have heard that hyenas, this is a crazy little tip, and next time you go to the zoo, look into it. Every time I go to the zoo now, I have to try to examine the hyenas. From what I've heard, they are actually closer to felines than they are to canines. I'm no biologist, and wouldn't that be a little bit fishy that lions, I guess, live in prides? Hyenas, though, don't they act like dogs? Like they... Very, I don't know. We don't know the answer there. Something I can tell you is during that last wipeout 10,000 years ago, there used to be lions in America. The coyotes coexisted with lions, and the American lion was bigger one and a half times the size of the African lion of today. If you want to go back in time do that hunting, make sure you got a suit of armor because those lions will be up your grill. Another misstep of human reintroduction he talked about this chapter was in australia recently we tried to reintroduce wild dingoes dingoes what a great name those are still running rampant and uh the park rangers of the grand canyon are getting up in arms because there are over eight thousand coyotes roaming the grand canyon right now a lot of land but they're scared like i said the rangers want to be in control it's getting a little too much for us again we might see another extermination campaign in our lifetime in 1925 after they had all these new divisions for controlling the population started the north american mammal stability conference this is like the super bowl of their world for the first time someone said we're violently overturning the population to never be reestablished." he's getting a little bit preachy about the conservation efforts since 1925 so 95 years now We've been dancing on the line of extermination with these little guys. In the last 90 years, the populations that we can't get a hold of are growing in size. Just like wolves are growing in size, that's a pretty scary thought. So are the coyotes. What are we turning into as people? I think we're only getting wider instead of taller. Nowadays, 
coyotes have been found hunting geese lakeside in Chicago. There's only eight land mammals that are faster than them. What's the the pronghorned elk? You got to go look up videos of this. It looks like a all-terrain vehicle, the way they just take over land. That's If you could choose to be an animal, that's a pretty good one. They could run 50 miles an hour for six hours at a time. And they run in these giant packs. It's like the Rat Pack rides again, the ultimate version. In 1931, after that Super Bowl, the Animal Damage Control Act had been passed. It put aside a million dollars which is a lot of money in that time, to eradicate the arch predators. So still in the 1930s, we're going, humans are going to take over this land completely. No one else can stand to fight us. We didn't learn from the first two times of when you try to suppress the numbers of the coyotes, they just morph and then get stronger. They're like the ultimate predator. You seen Predator or Alien or Prometheus, how they designed the best killer? How did Stallone kill an extraterrestrial predator he adapted he laid down in the mud and he covered himself what the coyotes can do they change their hides they thin out when they need to go into the desert it's nuts what these guys do dan flores says that coyotes are able to consume up to 1600 different dietary items 70 percent of their food source though is a net benefit for humans like we don't eat rats they eat little prairie dogs and things like that for 70 percent of the time the other 30 percent is chicken turkey some of those vegetables that we like and that's when they're stepping on our toes and we can say no more coyote our national animal was almost the turkey and coyotes are eating those guys very big reason during a period of nationalism in the 30s and the 40s that we're saying we got to kill these coyotes now that whole roughing it book that mark twain was writing on talked about the smorgasbord that coyotes would choke down they eat snakes he said they would eat rattlesnakes even eat snails insects mushrooms mushrooms so they're definitely getting on that same frequency as humans throughout the decade of the 1930s the u.s had about 56 million domestic sheep and coyotes would eat five million of them a year it's the big bad wolf story. It should really be turned into the big bad coyote. <laughs> and this is when, I'm telling you, we're here, we are in the period of total war against the coyotes. We set up strategic carpet bombs in regions where coyotes gathered in mass. Imagine Dan Flores sitting on his deck in Santa Fe and just sees a B-52 come over. Claire, light him up. <laughs> just a fucking carpet bomb over a bunch of coyotes. It's gross to think about, but sometimes you got to do all that type of shit for population control. Down in Texas, they have the ham-pocalypse. People take 50 cals and miniguns out of helicopters and mow down wild hogs. I mean, do what you want to. Home defense is probably a better idea. But uh, when it gets to that level, sometimes you got to nuke coyotes. After the era of the 1930s, coyotes overall looked different. They built up an immunity to strychnine they were all bald because of it it still affected their their fur growth and <laughs> the bombs they had ptsd colorado wildlife research was in a complete panic not knowing how they were going to control this population and by the 1960s they got the hint they dipped out of the west and down into texas all in the hill country they were being reported again immune to poison 
This is around Austin, the hill country of Texas, not how you would picture the vast oil fields. This is Matthew McConaughey's little Beverly Hills. They call it the Great Hills down there. Perfect place for a coyote, a million places for them to slip in and hide. Mid-1900s, their population was down 75%. We were starting to realize there's no way you're kicking this little epigenetic masterpiece off the grid. We're going to have to learn to live with them. Chapter 6, Morning in America, 1961, who was kicking about Mr. Walt Disney in the wonderful world of color. He was making the movie Bambi, and this made people hate hunters. Again, that hard word, anthropomorphization of animals. You're looking at the bears and the Bambis as friends now. The old Bambi story from 1941, it used to portray the hunters as a hero. In the 60s with all these color, like it was made for kids now, everyone's going, no, 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 you have to let them live. And we know this was because we're trying to sell stuffed animals. You'll see this will lead to a couple decades later people getting eaten by coyotes. However, Dan Flores keeping on the sad train. In the 60s, 300,000 coyotes a year were being trapped. Guy Leopold was a well-known hunter at the time, guy that Walt Disney would hang out with. Walt Disney loved coyotes. His quote was, the last fine howl on the range will be a dull night. <laughs> he was going, once the coyotes are gone, it's going to be a sad America. Guy Leopold, the hunter, told a story about shooting a coyote, and he felt sad after. This guy has, he's a game hunter. He's killed almost every species on Earth. But he said when he shot this coyote, it felt like it looked him in the eyes. He saw that yellowish-green fire in its eyes die out. It felt like It felt like it had a soul compared to the ducks and pheasants that you could blast away in a feathery explosion guiltless so leopold and some other guy carson were trying to push an indictment against the government for poisoning the animals obviously didn't go anywhere but it got this on people's radar along with bambi people are starting to go hey <laughs> let's stop carpet bombing coyotes let's stop testing ddt typhus and lice on u.s soldiers it's a gross thing to do to animals, but we're doing it to our people, so what do you think we would do to the animals? Probably going to napalm them, test out some EMPs on their coyote internet. Flores wrote about in the 1960s, it swung the other way now, as Nixon was president. He declared Earth Day a distraction. <laughs> and then, now we have Arbor Day, Earth Day, Green Day, all this crap. Nixon also ramped up the strychnine bait program, so these coyotes now are even more immune to the poisons that we have. The Animal Damage Control Act of 1972 banned thallium sulfate-based agents that kill on contact. So there was this smelling salt types of things we'd put out in the wild that would kill coyotes on sight, and those were made illegal, thankfully. Swinging back to the other side of the pendulum, went all the way up to the Supreme Court in 1973, there was a landmark court case, which then passed in the Senate 92 to 0, saying you're not allowed to poison coyotes in general. Pretty great. No, no more of that crap. But I mean, 92 to 0, you really can't look good to your electorates. If you're voting for dog genocide, that's a pretty easy one on the ballot. Whoever came up with that one, we salute you. Morning in America sappy name for a chapter just supposed to be about all these wildlife service predatory research projects up in utah they spend about 140 million tax dollars a year not a bad way on conservation and they keep at a time 100 coyotes tagged just to track them and make sure the numbers are okay 
nowadays we are making sure that they are keeping their numbers up on the national park range. <laughs> what happens in government when you ban one thing? When we did successfully ban the poison, another bad thing popped up that becomes much worse. Nowadays, Flores said 35,000 coyotes a year are killed from the sky. Drones are making it a whole lot easier to thin the herd. Pretty friggin' creepy that we're sending quadcopter drones out to shoot coyotes. I would say that's unethical. Imagine these, like, Boston Dynamic robots that we're inventing that could charge on a solar power. They even have ones that can survive off of bioflesh. It will eat you to stay alive, a robot. Hey, DARPA, why you making that? These robots will be able to sustain themselves in the wild. I wouldn't be surprised up by NORAD nuclear base, like, tucked away in the mountain towns of Colorado. There are these Boston Dynamic robots out there eating coyotes. <laughs> Transhumanism, trans coyoteism. Up until the 1980s, some hunters were making $70,000 a year off of coyote tags. It's a good living. When Flores talked to some of those hunters from the 80s, he said they just kept coming. I would kill coyotes day in and day out. Them coyotes keep coming. And so you don't know whether to feel guilty or bad. This is a very nuanced issue. <laughs> this isn't going to put you... I'm not going to make you feel better here. In 2015, there was a coyote hunting contest that went down $50 a head. Walt Disney might not have liked to heard that one too much. Chapter 7, Bright Lights, Big Cities. 2013, that Super Bowl coyote conference went down, and they were saying there's around 2,000 heads in urban cities, which is very unsafe. By 2014, almost every major city was leaving warnings out telling you don't leave your small children outside, don't leave your pets locked in the car with the window open. People, again, are scared of the coyotes, thanks to the media. These guys have been getting more comfortable around people and moving into the towns, hence the name of the chapter, Bright Lights Big City. Again, <laughs> do not feed them as cute as they are and you hear their little pitter-patter on your driveway like your dog. Mm -mm -mm. They're going to be eating your dog next. What did Yogi Bear say? Don't feed the bears unless it's honey. What was called the Great Dog War of late 1900 never ended. This was when all of the pounds, the dog catchers, were basically on their own $50 a head payday. There were so many stray dogs in the 1990s and such. When these 2013 studies came across about coyotes in town, People started to forget about the Great Dog War pretty quick. You go to like Haiti or some of these third world countries. India, if they had coyotes in India, they wouldn't have their stray dog problem. People really started to just forget that stray dogs used to be a thing when coyotes took their place. Because you don't see the coyotes. They're good roommates. They stay out of sight. It's like if you have a spider in your room, you gotta let that little guy chill. That's your new roommate, because once you kill that spider, you notice how many other flies there are. They're keeping the population in control. Flores talked about how Walt Disney made a short story that was named A Country Coyote Goes Hollywood, and it was a coyote reverting into L.A. And you would think logically, L.A. is not a bad first city to invade as a coyote. You have the hills to take refuge in, and then you could go scavenge in the dumpsters all damn day. Flores knew what was going to happen. He saw even over in Golden how 20 miles out, you are in complete 
bumblefuck nature, and that's where the coyotes can thrive. Any type of place that isn't completely suburbanized, like, <laughs> is going to get taken over. We see they're in Manhattan now, so it is impossible to stay away from a coyote. Over 120 are tagged in the Beverly Hills area. We're keeping tabs on them. Up in Seattle, cats make up 13% of the coyote diet. Do not have an outdoor cat over there. You think your cat's a little hunter eating all those birds up? Tell him to watch his tail. In the wild, only 61% live to adulthood. That still results in a population growth. The human ideal population levels off at 2.1 kids per woman. Coyotes, they have 10 kids per woman coyote. Since 1981, being in the big cities, Glendale, California recorded the first human death from a coyote. Between then and 2006, over 50 people had been bitten by wild guys. And you wonder why the number has leveled off from then if they're still so invasive. There was a picture of the book, it was pretty creepy, of it looked like someone forgot their coat on the Portland light rail, just something thrown in the corner. And as they got closer, a little coyote popped his head up. They're tiny transformers. What are you going to do? We're living in a country that averages 300,000 dog bites annually. And we don't care about that. We invite these things into our home. And 50 people got bit in the past two decades. We can live with these guys. It's not something where you need to be calling in a lightning strike when you see a pride out in the wild. Flores ended this chapter. One night on the Colorado River, he was out there with his 22. It's a little gun, but that'll scare a coyote away. And he came nose to nose with one of these coyotes. He said... They looked into each other's eyes for what felt like an eternity. It was several minutes. These things have patience. And he swore. The coyote said to him, You've never pulled the trigger on that thing, and I know you won't today. The coyote turned around. Nothing bad happened. It's probably the most danger that Dan Flores has ever been in. It's a little symbolic. He's learning to coexist in the second to last chapter. Final one, Coyote America talks about coyote consciousness on the latter half as well we're gonna jam it all together in 2009 a winnipeg folk songwriter girl was killed eek, by a 52 pound coyote that's a big boy right there the reason she got killed though she was wearing a natural fur she was wearing a beaver coat so the coyote thought that she was a really thick juicy beaver and he just took this little folk singer away. Made people hate him up in Canada since 2009. Point of that, though, is they're getting pretty damn big. 50 pounds, they're rising again in size, mutating different ways in different biomes. Up there in Canada, it's cold. Maybe all that weight was fur. Creepy. People are starting to report seeing coyotes buck up onto their hind legs. <laughs> Imagine just seeing a nine-foot-tall coyote wandering across the forest. It's like Bigfoot, his big paw. That could be where the coyote man legend came from, Coyotal. He just hurt one of his front paws. Dan is saying now that they're getting really big in size again, they're most likely going to start breeding with wolves again. <laughs> Which this happened 3.2 million years ago. For 1.8, they were pure coyotes. Then they learned to share their genetics. And this is that fission and fusion. It's coming full cycle. The wolves are teaming with the coyotes to fight humans. 
what do you think? The canines of today are going to stay loyal to us? How intimidating is it when we have little wiener dog dockouts on our side going against wolves and coyotes hiling on the top of the Rocky Mountains? In 2012, the Fish and Wildlife Service printed a 75-page piece on how this crossbreeding can be extremely dangerous. The only way humans are going to stand a chance is if we also evolve. We're going to have to vampire up. It's going to be a mythical battle in a hundred years. <laughs> I know that uh, if you eat a bat, you could risk getting coronavirus. If you eat a vampire, what do you think happens then? <laughs> the coyotes. They're taking back Chicago. Like I said, they're hunting on all of the Great Lakes now. And if you're not scared of Chicago, what are you... They're walking up and down Miracle Mile, hopping in the Green River on St. Paddy's Day. In 2014, the Association of Taxonomy of Wolves, I bet they get millions of dollars in tax money, they showed that 20% of wolf DNA is now coyote. They're little sexual infiltrators, too. They are tainting the pure wolf species. I'm sorry, wolf fans. How long is it going to be until a coyote bangs a bear? A bear odie? A coyere? I'm scared. Luckily, they're not sexually aggressing on Dan Flores in his nice, beautiful estate in Santa Fe. He says after that uh, near encounter he had in Colorado with his 22, all of the coyotes, he thinks they have a theory of mind. When they look at him, he sees the cogs turning, and they have never once threatened him since that interaction when he watches them in his backyard in Santa Fe. It's a new era. We're living in this sea of 50-pound coyotes, and they have totally infiltrated our consciousness. Wiley Coyote, he is more of a star than I will ever be. <laughs> I, I suggest the book just for the, like, the urban tales at the beginning of the Coyote Man because it really was cool. It's like the Hansel Gretel of nature. It's all the same ethos, though. Great power comes great responsibility. Don't leave your brother with an old witch who eats children. This last chapter here, he talked the whole time about Wiley Coyote. Launched Chuck's Jones' career from 66 to 68. Chapter was basically a picture book too, but it was a nice reward at the end showing you all of them in nature and infiltrating the urban environments. I think everyone who has listened this far has earned one of those wolf howling at the moon shirts. <laughs> We're going to have to live with these little guys to be our vermin controls. They are our exterminators in the wild. And if we really do poach them to death like we are doing to other animals at alarming rates, we're going to have to forfeit for some dystopian future where those Boston Dynamic bots are the ones nabbing up little rats and doing the population control. I don't know about you guys. I'm not a fan of that. Let Mother Earth take care of itself. Dan Flores knows best. I really want to thank him for this book, for so much time dedicated to this species. I'm thanking you on the coyote's behalf. Thank you, the listener, for our lighthearted show today and a little bit of learning. We have a mystery episode coming up, but if you are doing the read-alongs, our next themed episode is going to be November 1st during November. What is uh, <laughs> November? Is the biggest eating month in America. Thanksgiving is coming up and you are getting that gut ready, the size ready for the holidays. Just like the coyote, you're getting ready to stuff that stomach for hibernation. We are going to be reading November 1st 
Fast Food Nation by Eric Slosher. He is in all of the Fed Up, the sugar documentaries. Not What the Health, <laughs> like that one is a vegan propaganda put out by Netflix. Sugar Nation, I'm telling you guys, I'm a, I'm like two weeks clean off sugar. Your teeth get whiter. You don't have these menstrual mood swings. You are clear of mind. It's one less addiction in your life. And Sugar Nation, oops. He also wrote Sugar Nation. That's why I just fucked that up. I'm sorry, guys. Fast Food Nation talks about here the food processing plant in Greeley, Colorado. Anthony Bourdain recommended this book. It is about the disgusting diet of the Americans. I mean, we should really watch what we put in our face holes a little bit more. Shit tastes good here. Not going to lie. We're going to learn about what goes on behind the scenes. Thank you again for staying tuned for a truly wild episode. I'll see you next time. I am your host, Comic Nick Muniz.